0: Hello, my peers, and welcome to this week's episode of the Peers Project podcast. So, for those of you who are new to the show and who are listening in for the first time, welcome. I'm Michelle, your host, and I couldn't be more excited to have you listening in today. So, this week's guest is a phenomenal leader of our generation. She's a brilliant millennial entrepreneur from Sydney, and I know. You'll all be as awe-inspired as I am by her story. So at just 19 years old, she'd co-founded her company, Austone International, and within four short years, grew it to a seven-figure business that has helped over 700 millennials worldwide gain real-world experience in their industry through international internships. She's now the Head of Growth at QLC and has recently embarked on her around-the-world extravaganza, working remotely, exploring new places and learning foreign languages. So who is this brilliant millennial I'm talking about? Well, her name is Lily Wu. I was fortunate to sit down and speak with Lily here in Melbourne several months ago and learn about her stories of determination, of grit and perseverance that have gotten her to where she is today. So without further ado, here is my conversation with the fabulous Lily Wu. Lily, welcome to The Peers Project. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Yeah, no problem. Of course. So, you know, I came across you on LinkedIn several months ago now, and I was super interested by you and the work that you're doing. And I just knew I had to have you come on the podcast. So I'm really excited for our conversation today.
1: Yeah, such an honor for me to be on this podcast. So thank you for inviting me.
0: Of course, of (laughs) course. All the way down from Sydney, which is absolutely awesome. So before I dive into your work. I want to start with a question that I've often found to be very insightful and revealing. And that is, what did your parents do? And how has this impacted the choices you've made in your life, in your career so far?
1: Yeah, that's a really interesting question. So my parents are actually artists um, and they came to Australia 30 years ago and they did their Masters um, of Fine Arts at UNISW COFA. And so when I was growing up, I always thought I was going to be a graphic designer. And follow the footsteps of my family, which is like, ironically, like very not Asian (laughs) kind of career. And so growing up, uh, I always viewed commerce. I always viewed money as something that was just a necessity, but very, uh, very boring topic. And um, how I came across entrepreneurship was one day my parents went to China And, like, we were in a very, like, poor situation since um, they wanted to change uh, what they were doing with their life as well. And so they left me with $100. And at the time, you know, I thought that was a lot of money. (laughs) And I was like, yes, I'm balling cash. And so um, two weeks later, I was like, you know, I'm going to be running out of money. (laughs) So I decided, you know, as normal people do, yeah. You know, apply for part-time jobs. Um, so I applied to KFC, applied to Macca's, applied to, like, you know, 40 different retail places, but not a single one, you know, wanted to do an interview with me and they didn't want to hire me. And so I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> this underage kid, like, why wouldn't you want to, you know? <laughs> um, and so at the time I was also really into hip-hop And uh, I really wanted to get these Jeremy Scott shoe, like wing shoes. And so they were really popular at the time, but they retail for about $300. And so um, at the time, I had a friend in America whose parents owned an Adidas uh, outlet. And so I asked her, you know, how much do these wholesale for? Like, am I able to get some discount or like get a wholesale from you? And she said, actually, these shoes only costs $40 since it's out of season now in America. And so I was like, what? <laughs> $40. Um, and I was like, okay, how much is it to ship to Australia? And she was like, uh, it's also $40. And I was like, oh, <laughs> that's the same amount as the shoes. And she was like, but if you get it as a, um, it's a flat fee. So if you get your friends to chip in with you, then um, you'll be able to reduce your shipping or like get it free. And so I was like, that's a great idea. And so I went around to all my friends, and I was like, um, hey, any of you guys want to get these shoes with me? Like, what do you think they said? Um, they probably said, yes, <laughs> I
0: want $40 for, <laughs> like,
1: just a pair of shoes. Yeah, so that's what I thought, except um, everyone that I asked, they were like, no way, like, this has to be fake. Like, it's the $300 in Australia, why would they be $40, like kind of like getting easy for a hundred dollars right yeah. <laughs> and so I was like is that the only problem like you know it was like just after the GFC um Australia dollar was like extremely high and the exchange rate was so good and they were always out like America would always be like out of season by the time it hits Australia because of our season differences and so um I went to another group of friends and I was like hey do you want to get these shoes for 80 dollars And they were more receptive, so they were like, oh yeah, that sounds like a good idea. And so one of my friends, he was like, I have a group of friends who want to get these shoes, but what do I get out of it? And um, I said, you know what, if you can get an order of 20, which is the amount of shoes that would reduce our shipping to zero, then you can sell these shoes for as much as you want.
0: Mm.
1: Yeah. And so if you want to sell it for $120 or $200, you know, it's still hundred dollars off half price, then you can do that. But I just want, to, I will just take the cut over 80, like at $80. So I would always make a $40 cut, but you can make whatever you want to sell it for. And so all I did was I made this word doc, this Excel spreadsheet, where I had, like, these pictures of all these different types of shoes and then also Excel spreadsheet of, like, the name and the location and then I sent it to them. And then a the week later, they would come back to me um, with this order of 20. And so I did this with nine other friends, like, nine other schools. And that week, they all gave me an order of 20 um, with their filled out Excel spreadsheet, except the problem now was I had no money to pay for that. Um, and so what would you do in this case? try and borrow the money, yeah. um, ask my parents maybe, see so if anyone could help me out. Yeah, so I didn't want to um, ask my parents for the money. So what I did was I made everybody pay me a $40 bond mm. because at the same time, you know, that was the amount of money that would, you know, pay for the, all the shoes. Mm. But um, I also needed to make sure that they weren't going to cancel on me because they were like, you know... Um, high value for me at the time <laughs> high value for me. So I got them to, it's like, if they cancel me, you know, I'm suddenly stuck with a size 43 silver pair of shoes. <laughs> what am I going to do? <laughs> and what if no one else wants to buy them anymore? Mm. You know? And so, um, I collected the bond from, um, all of my 10 distributors, and I went to my friend's mom and I gave it all in cash. Um, and I was like, hey, can I borrow a credit card? <laughs> and then buy all the shoes in one go. So if you think about wow. it, I made $40 profit per pair of shoes. And that week, my 10 friends gave me 20 orders each. So in that week, I made a profit of $8,000. Wow. <laughs> and so How old were you? I was... Uh, just, I just turned 16. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah. And so like going back to your original question, this
0: <laughs> <laughs> story out of purpose.
1: <laughs> going back to your original question, which was how did my parents affect me? I, I think growing up, I felt, um, they always like gave me a lot of freedom and I felt like entrepreneurship really is a very creative, you know, outlet for me. And so even though I didn't end up pursuing like graphic design or art, which I still do like as a hobby, but I found that my passion was in business. Mm. And to me, that was um, a creative outlet. And so I was really glad that when I was that age, I never felt like if my parents came back, I would get into a lot of trouble because they gave me a lot of space to explore what I want to do. And they have always been very supportive, like whatever crap I get into. (laughs) (laughs) So they, they weren't as much like, you know, that rigorous. I know like other friends, if they did that, their parents would get them into like really big trouble because they're like, why aren't you studying? You know, um, your exams are coming up. You have to study for your HSC. So um, I felt very lucky in that way that, they gave me that creative space to do what I I wanted to do. Yeah. And to fail and make, make mistakes. Um, and that was okay. Mm.
0: Yeah. Wow. I love this. I love that whole story about your first (laughs) business really. And uh, you know, there's so many questions that go into that and also obviously the way your parents have kind of brought you up. So I guess my first question there is, you know, this idea of seeing this problem that you had that you didn't have enough money to buy these shoes as a business opportunity like where do you think that comes from do you think that like ability to have to turn a problem into an opportunity something that we can all develop or do you think it's something that you just innately have
1: um I definitely feel like at the end of the day, like starting a business or entrepreneurship is not as intimidating as everybody thinks. Um, at the end of the day, what entrepreneurship really is, is just either you're solving your own problem, um, and trying to make something happen or you're solving someone else's problem, which is like kind of like entrepreneurship in, in companies. Um, and so for me, um, actually like restriction, increases your level of problem solving creativity the thing is like when people um start off with a lot of money or a lot of capital they tend to like spend it on things that they don't know what to spend it on but when you when you have no choice and you have zero money I couldn't even afford to buy one pair of shoes. All I wanted to do was (laughs) to own that one pair of shoes. Um, You will think of all these ways to try to make that happen. If that's what you really want to do. So I guess like it's a mix of both. Like if you're the type of person that, you know, wants to um, see something come into fruition, then you will try, even if it's a very small thing, you're trying to make that happen. And so... Like it wasn't like I built a shoe empire <laughs> or anything, but it was really just trying to like, I didn't have a website. I didn't have um, any connections apart from, I mean, that was a very big connection, but like <laughs> I didn't have any like sales background. Uh, I didn't know anything about business, but really like everything was just based off common sense or logic um, based on what my situation was and that was I had no money I needed to get the money <laughs> to pay for it and then you're just like okay I'll get I collect the money to pay for it and then you know increasing the incentive of other people to help me sell to other people because they should get some reimbursement for the amount of work that they do and that would mean that that all the shipping would be cut out so Yeah, that was just solving those little problems one by one and slowly for some reason, I
0: had a business. <laughs> <laughs> just going to solve all of our little problems, guys. That's how you do it. <laughs> um, okay. Very interesting. Uh, fascinating. Um, so I, I do just, I know prior this, you and I have had some chats and I, I do want you to tell everyone, you know, how much that business ended up making while you were still in high school because I just think that's phenomenal. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. So the by, by the time I finished high school, if you think about it, at each of those 20 people that my original friends sold to, um, once they got those shoes, they would at least four or five of them would come to me and be like, Hey, I have another 20 friends. Can I do the same thing as well? And so, um, just by word of mouth, like exponentially, I mean, it like ranged to other shoes by the end as well, but I made about half a million dollars.
0: in profit. Crazy. Crazy. Yeah. (laughs) Amazing. Um, Okay, great. So I want to dive into a little bit more of your time after high school so you obviously built this mini little empire kind of (laughs) uh, whilst you were still in high school off you at these shoes and you know then you went into university so you know I saw that you um, you know you did a Bachelor of Commerce at UNSW so you know talk to me a bit about you know why you decided to choose that path I mean it's quite evident I think it really lends (laughs) to your natural talent to solve problems but you know what was that those early days of university like for you?
1: Yeah so Um, after high school I actually stopped the shoe business um, because I realised you know this is not something that I'm passionate about in terms of selling shoes Um, but it made me realise a few things which was one that I'm really glad that I got rejected from those (laughs) retail stores because it made me realise that business is such a like powerful thing that it can really um, not only help yourself but you know, help so many other people who are doing this with you. So many of my friends in high school, they ended up, you know, being able to pay off like their school fees or like put down about down payments for houses. You know, this is like 18 year olds. Um and I was like, wow that's so powerful. But then if I wanted to make it bigger, I didn't understand like anything to do with the structure of a business or how to, you know, make it any Um, bigger than it is except for like a a little buy and sell kind of thing and so um, in my year 12 year I applied for a cadet at an accounting firm and it was one of the world's like largest accounting firms I wanted to kind of my reasoning to myself was that I wanted to learn about the basics of business and how it runs and how like you know um obviously as an accounting firm you meet so many clients you know how their businesses are run yeah so that was my reasoning and also because my parents um, said to me we're going to kick you out at 18 like we're going to stop all financial support um you know we're going to still be a family obviously but like we you have to be independent so you have to find your own source of income and so i was just thinking about what i wanted to do in the future so i applied for the accounting firm and before I went, you know, I had this image like, oh, I'm going to be so impressive. Yeah, I'm going to this high-flying corporation. That's an like 18-year-old. Everyone's going to be so impressed. My friends are going to be so jealous of me. I don't know. I, was, I went in with, like, stars in my eyes. Mm. Yeah. And during that first year of uni, I realized what I will never do again. <laughs> I hated it so much. And so... um it just didn't suit my personality. So I'm someone who I, I hate to be, I realize I hated to be micromanaged, like, especially growing up with parents who are extremely, you know, relaxed about what I want to do. i um, always letting me make my decisions. I felt like I was being managed by parents, like constantly, like, you know, just staring at your computer screen, watching what you're doing. It was like the Asian parent I never had, you know? <laughs> <laughs> It's <laughs> so great. Um, and just like the work as well, doing endless financial reports um, and tax returns. You know, I'm I'm very skilled at binding books and photocopying <laughs> as well. But yeah, I just like didn't really like the work. I looked at my partners. I looked at like where their career was, and I wondered, you know, is this really what I what I would want, like, would I want to be in their position in 10 years' time? And it was a big, fat no. <laughs> but when I quit at the end of the year, so many of my friends were like, oh my gosh, I can't believe, like, you know, you don't know how lucky you are. I'm so jealous of you. Like, you don't know how hard it is to be in your penultimate or your final year, I mean, of a three-year degree, right? So penultimate and final year, um, you know, trying to get an internship or graduate position at one of these companies. And... I just felt really really sad that if I had never had this experience I would have gone through my entire degree because I was going to do a common law degree um, but I, I didn't take it to work full-time right mm. but so I would have gone through my three or five-year degree thinking that the trajectory of my career is that I just want to get into a big four accounting firm or a, like an, an IB or whatever which there is nothing wrong with but it would have wasted a lot of time not knowing that that's actually doesn't suit my personality. And it's something I definitely wouldn't want in my career. And so, um, when I, when I quit, I was faced with three problems. So the first one was now I had no idea what I wanted to do. <laughs> I was like, you know, what am I going to... most Like, the, the question was, what am I going to do with my degree? Mm-hmm. i had already done so many accounting topics. Um, and I was like, do I drop this major? Do I start a new one? Do I change, like, you know, degrees? Like, do I add in arts or law or whatever? And so I really didn't know whether, you know, in the future I would stay in Australia, whether I would work overseas. Um, the second one was that because so many... Of my friends, I really wondered, like, you know, I was lucky to get this out of high school where they didn't expect, you know, a lot of experience. But how do you get relevant experience when you don't have any in the first place? It's like Catch-22 companies always are, like, looking for your experiences and how relevant they are to your, you know, your future job that you're applying for. But then, you know, with no experience, you can't, like, apply at the same time. So... Um, They just didn't know what to do. Um, And the third one was that I was majoring in in business law as well. So I was uh, reading all these articles where it was saying how JP Morgan designs this software that replaces 360,000 hours of what lawyers do in seconds. Like, that's crazy. That's insane. I was like, well, that's great. Other major, (laughs) go on. (laughs) And so I really wanted to know, like, how can I develop my skills so that it it doesn't matter like what jobs are being created in the future or what jobs are being displaced um, but I can easily adapt according to different industries yeah if you think about it like in 2007 when the iPhone was created before that there was no such thing as app developers there's no such thing as Android developers Um, and so it's just when I was thinking about that I was like wow in five years time who knows what kind of developers like the last year blockchain developers and all that kind of stuff um I was like how can I um at least even if I don't have those I can't use those technical skills how can I make sure that my skills can be transferred into whatever I decide
0: to do so I won't be displaced by society (laughs) I love that I think that so much comes out of that again. I think that last thing you touched on was so important. It's, you know, how can I develop my skill set to really be unique in this changing world and this yeah. changing world of work? And I think it's that's something that many of us should should take note of and really think about. Um, but a question I do want to ask is really around this idea of Kind of going against the crowd and just stepping out on your own. So you said that when you decided to quit at the big four, you know, all your friends were like, This is crazy. Like, yeah. what are you doing? Like, this is our dream. Like, if we could, you know, and it, you know, how do you like gain the courage to just go, this is my decision, I'm going with it, regardless of what people say?
1: Um, I've always had that kind of personality <laughs> where But at the same time, I hated it so much. It didn't matter what other people were going to say. And also, like, my friends hadn't experienced it yet. So it wasn't like they were working with me and being like, don't quit. But it was, like, um, an idealistic view that I used to have as well when I was going. And I just felt really sad that I was like, what if you experience like it's not as great as you make it out to be um and so for me it wasn't really about trying to meet the expectations but it was kind of like um I know that it just doesn't fit who I am as a person and so I mean I don't want to waste my time and also like I don't want to do things that I will regret in the future and that includes staying in positions that I'm unhappy in and also not doing things that I would want to do um, that's always been a value of mine,
0: um, and you just got to follow that. <laughs> mm, I love it. Such good advice. Yeah. Super important. Yeah. Um, okay. Cool. So you know, then you you, know, you were faced with those three problems. You yeah. quit. Just you know, despite everything, you was faced with those three problems. What came next?
1: Yeah. So I ended up starting my own bit, um, second business, which was, which was called um, Also International. And basically, what we did with that business was we. Re- like ran three-week career boot camps um, in different locations. So it was in Singapore, Hong Kong, Sydney, Melbourne, New York. And what happened was we would partner with different companies um, from corporates, also with startups and the, um, during those three weeks we would run two company challenges where a pro- the company would give a problem that they're facing and then within a, a one week period they would have to finish an entire project which meant that they had to um, ideate and then also most importantly have to execute a, sol- a solution like create a prototype and try to test if it would work or not mm-hmm. um, and so I'm not sure if I'm supposed to name some of the companies, but Um, One of the companies, a really big company that moved to Australia um, and they wanted to create a viral marketing campaign. And so within that one week, the students in teams had to come up with like a video um, and then go around filming and like a kind of like prototype video of what they would actually roll out. And then contact all the kind of media outlets to try and roll out. So, in in the end, that company, um, a really big tech, tech company, ended up just skipping the entire hiring process and just hired the entire team to wow. roll out that project. <gasps> wow. Yeah. And so, um, I was like, whoa. Because <laughs> that company has, like... An insane, insane hiring process. Like they have to do analytics tests, they have to do applications. They do like three interviews and a, like a assessment center, um, and a final like group interview. And they just skipped all that. They didn't even look at the resume. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wow. Um. So, it was on the student side. It was really about discovering like what they were interested in. So not only do they get to see different types of companies, whether their personality suits corporate um or like they like structure or if they like startups where they have more autonomy they can really see that culture when they like you know interact with the people from those companies and do those challenges but they also you know in the three weeks more tangibly they get to finish two entire projects Mm -hmm. and um you know with companies that they all know and love Um, and so that would be then a leaping frog kind of opportunity to in a very, very short period of time do like two major projects, which means that, you know, they don't have to waste six or 12 months time doing an internship that they might not like like me, (laughs) Um, you know, or doing like very, because internships innately, like sometimes if they give you like photocopying or, or paper runs, like what can you do? And what value does that bring to your next position? So you know, it was kind of solving the no experience, but starting with some sort of experience to, to showcase to future employers. And then the third, like most important one, I really wanted to teach an entrepreneurial mindset of problem solving so that even if they don't, decide to be an entrepreneur which not everyone is suited for obviously um however they have that problem solving mindset and to teach kind of like the frameworks on how to solve problems really quickly so that they can develop the kind of transferable skills that all employers want for one but they can then realize that oh every opportunity or every experience that they have they can take something out of that as well
0: Wow. You know, every time I hear a story about your business, I just, it blows me away each time. And I think that, I think because of two main reasons, something that I would love to ask you about it's, you know, the first one is, you know, you're in the exact position. You're just a tiny step ahead of your cohort. Right. And, but you're still very young. You're still confused. You don't really know what's next. And yet you somehow construct a company that helps everyone else and and just kind of go through you know kind of skip what you went through so that's just baffling to me almost like trying to stand out as the leader not even meaning to and just helping your peers along the way Uh, you know what prompted you to firstly think that big think overseas I mean especially at that age and then actually get that going yeah
1: so um you know, I, I said all of this because I wanted you to have a picture of what it was like in, as the end result. And that's what a lot of people see, right, the end result. Um, and they find it super intimidating in terms of like when they want to start their own business, they're like, oh, my vision is too big. And they think about all these steps and they're like, it's too hard to get there. And so they don't end up even starting in the first place to be honest my vision was very small <laughs> in in the beginning in the beginning and it changes and adapts as you grow your business which I think is fine like you can have a big vision but you can also have a very small vision um, and I feel like people just like to romanticize like people with visionary who are visionaries or who have big visions um, so they don't even end up starting because they're like I'm innately not that type of person. How I started Austern, you know, I, I'm guessing like right now there's a like huge gap between, okay, I quit this cadetium <laughs> and suddenly I own this business that, you know, has 700 people go through it. You yeah, know, it generates like seven, you know, figure revenue, blah, blah, blah. People are like, what? Where did that step come from? <laughs> <Where>? Yes. <laughs> What's the in-between? <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> when I the, – the the story is that when I quit – My parents were also overseas at that time (laughs) and I was like, uh, before they come back, I need to find something to do (laughs) because if they come back and they figure that I'm not like doing anything and I don't have a, like a legitimate reason, I'm sure they would have accepted it regardless. But in my head I was like, they're going to be like, what, why did you quit? Um, just got in like (laughs) you've only done this for a year your contract's four years you know and so um, I was just looking for different opportunities to do in my summer holidays Mm -hmm. and the biggest one obviously was I just wanted to get more experience and I really wanted to see you know is Australia a place I want to stay in in the long run and so all I thought was, you know, I'm Chinese. Like, uh, at the time, Julie Gillard was the prime minister and she wrote this white paper about Australia in the Asian century. And so I was like, you know, I'm, I'm going to take advantage of the fact that I am Asian. So why don't I go to China and see, you know, what working in China is like? Um Except I had, like, zero connections. (laughs) (laughs) Minor factor. minor factor. (laughs) Um, My parents moved to Australia, like, 30 years ago, and they're artists, so not really relevant in any kind of field. But I was like, okay, you know, what's the best way to get an internship in China? I then went into uni and looked at ISAC, right? So for people who don't know, ISAC is, like, a global kind of, like, um internet like global organization that does volunteering and also some like internship placements and stuff like that and so um I asked them in the interview you know I was like really adamant <laughs> <laughs> that I really wanted to have an internship in China and I was like there is right and they're like yeah yeah but you know I really suggest that you go to Hungary and do like a, a volunteering internship instead in hungary and i was like that is so random <laughs> and i was like why hungary and i was just like oh i just think it's a good idea blah 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 and so i just didn't get it in the interview and i was like <laughs> okay but i really want to go to china so that's still gonna be my first option so two weeks later i got an email saying um hey lily thanks for going through this interview process but you have been rejected And so when I got rejected, I was like, okay, well, (laughs) screw you. (laughs) Um, I'll just go by myself to China. Except I was like, hmm, I don't want to go by myself to China. (laughs) And so I was like, maybe I can drag my friends to come with me. And so I literally asked all my primary school friends, my high school friends, my uni friends, anyone that I could ask. And I was like, hey, you know, you want to come with me to China? Um, there's like internship opportunities (laughs) and then you know um, I'll organize the trip like don't worry and so I was like it's gonna be about two thousand dollars for a four week you know break even kind of thing. Uh, So these, I ended up um, getting about 15 friends and they paid me two thousand dollars each and I was like hmm I gotta figure out what what I'm gonna do now (laughs) and so I didn't have any connections with Companies, but I was like, maybe I can try. I I know where to start. Like, what type of company? Like, like everyone wanted a different industry. I <laughs> was like, uh, I don't even know, like, what companies there are. So what I did was that I ended up emailing a bunch of, a bunch meaning like two hundred um, universities in China with my like shitty Chinese, and I was like, it hey, probably like made no grammatical sense or anything, but. I emailed a bunch of of unis and the only one that replied me was this uni called Liaoning University and in a city called Shenyang. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I had never heard of that city before. (laughs) I was like, where is this? And so I Googled um, the city and I was like, oh, great. (laughs) It's like on the border of North Korea. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I was like, hey guys, <laughs> let's go to the city of Shenyang. So, um, Liaoning University is really great. They ended up organizing like internship placements um, suited to everyone's like, field or whatever. And then we did language and cultural studies. Like, and then we did activities like went skiing and stuff like that. And they organized accommodation, everything. All I had to do was pay them the $2,000 lump sum. Right. And so we had a really fun like four weeks. Like no one took it seriously anyway. It was just like a (laughs) bunch of fun with mates. Mm -hmm. And so at the end of the trip, the university was like, hey, you know, this is really great. We never get Australian students. Um, How about we write up a contract and then you bring Australian students and we'll organize stuff and we'll pay. You can just continue paying us a lump sum to organize. And so I was like, that sounds like a great idea. I think I can do that. And so um, in two seconds, I came up with the name Austen. <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah, Australia intern, like, s- smooshed together. <laughs> and my friend was like, are you sure? <laughs> like, do you want to think about this? I was like, nah. <laughs> yeah, <good laughs> I was like, yeah, yeah, sounds good. So that's how Austin started. And then <laughs> later, like, when we ended up getting, like, international students, they were, like, people from America and Canada, they were like, what does Austen mean? I was like... <laughs> Because um, one day I was on Google and I was looking up Austern and I was like, whoa, there's a spike search in Germany. I was like, what does it mean? Why is that? Like, people from Germany are interested in (laughs) Ostern. And then I look at Google Images and literally it's just pages and pages of oysters. (laughs) Ostern means oyster in German. And that's when I was like, oh. And so now when we tell people, we say that Ostern means, um, it means oyster in German. So the world is your oyster. The more oysters that you open, the more likely you'll be able to find your pearl. Uh-oh. Which is like the more experiences that you the more, or the more opportunities that you take, the more experiences that you have, the more likely you're able to find your passion and stuff like that. So it ends up working out in the end. Yeah. but you guys't know now. Yeah. <laughs> it, was just, it was just because <laughs> I put Australia intern together. Yeah, um, yeah. and so yeah.
0: <laughs> my first
1: program, um, I ended up taking 40 students to Shenyang Mm. and it was an absolute disaster Um, because even though I made like a whole itinerary and it just like didn't go to plan my my original itinerary was I would do half day internship so like maybe like nine to one nine to two and then half day Chinese studies by the end of the first day, I realized that this was a really bad idea because I didn't realize that the university had organized places that were like two hours away. And so they had to wake up at 7am or 6am, go two hours away, come back for two hours. And by the time they came back, like who's going to have the energy to go Chinese class? The second thing was that there was a huge language and cultural barrier. And because obviously these are not my like, close friends anymore, where it's like, eh, we can just, like, fool around. Um, You know, people had paid, like, money, you know, like, 2.2K to, like, come on this four-week trip where they wanted, like, to actually experience internships. But the, the problem was, you know, if they have a language barrier there's no way that they can do business Chinese um, with these companies. The third was that there was a lot of bureaucracy. Like literally sometimes there would be like a bank um, and people would like die to like go into that company because it's like Bank of China or HSBC or something like really impressive sounding. Um, But they would literally just like sit them there on a boardroom with nothing it's like not even like they can fill up time by photocopying (laughs) (laughs) it was like even next level it was like um yeah like literally just sat there and did nothing and so I was like oh shit like what am I gonna do and so I kind of like gave them like small projects to do by themselves but there was this one company whose owner was like fluent in English and in the beginning, no one wanted to go there because it was, the name was Best Composites. People were like, what is that? <laughs> and I was like, oh, they, like, there are a factory that makes, like, composite materials. <laughs> and people were like, you're not convincing me. Um, and I was like, uh. <laughs> but I had to allocate someone to go there. And so the surprising thing was that the guy, like, really got along with the students and like the thing with composite materials that we didn't realize was that their factory could 3d print a lot of stuff immediately. Mm. Um, Like they create, because they create bumper stuff for like F1 car racing for Ferrari and stuff like that, or like Mm. planes and signs, like literally like anything that you can think of. Mm. Um, And so one of the projects was that they had to create a showroom for like at some sort of car expo for like Ferrari or whatever. And so they would, actually 3d print the entire mini expo design um so they saw that literally come to life or they would create like a there would be like a HR problem where they were like I need to make like create more incentives for my employees so they're like you know we can like see what google is like you know you should create a fun environment for your employees and they like would create like mini golf courses and like like a games room and just 3D print, like chairs and tables and stuff like that. Um, and then they made um, breakfast earlier so the employees would come earlier to work. It's like free breakfast and then free dinner so that the employees would leave later. <laughs> so, like, maximizing productivity. And then the students just found, like, wow, I see this come to life. Like, it's so meaningful because I can see the company change because of my efforts. And so, by the end, all the students who were at banks originally were like, I want to go to this one. <laughs> I want to go to this company. And I found it so mm. like interesting and so curious because it, it was like no one wanted to go there in the beginning because of the name. Um, and it really slashed some of my misconceptions that, you know, people just want to go to something that has a prestigious name and not care as much what they do. But I realised I was wrong because being in that situation it is also extrapolated the problem that you know short-term inter- internships often don't provide a lot of value to students because it's so dependent on the company to give relevant and like good work for for them and it's even worse because i'm supposed to be organizing this thing and no matter how well i organize all the other things the th- the contributing factor to whether they enjoy the experience or not is still whether the internship is good and so I was like, how can I control the entire experience so that it would be exactly like the composite, mater- like composite material company um, every single time that they will feel like I've accomplished something, I've made a difference in that company and I can take, um, this is valuable experience that I can take on in my future career. And so fast forward, um, I brought on my co-founder Jamie about a year and a half later we went out of Shenyang. I was like so happy by then because I was like, there's no way I can deal with this anymore. <laughs> there's like no English. Like, you know, like all the students, um, you know, I was one of the people with the best Chinese already. And so imagine like trying to do any type of like work there is like a nightmare. Mm. And, you know, so we moved into Singapore and Hong Kong. And so we started implementing that model where we would do company challenges instead. And as we partnered with more companies, it really surprised me to see that it didn't matter what industry and it didn't matter the size of the company, but they all they want from entry level talent is usually like the ten most important transferable skills. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's why in interviews they always ask you, when was the time that you display teamwork or leadership or, or problem solving or analytical thinking? Because at the end of the day, they can train you in technical skills anyway. And with that, that's why we, I was like, okay, since they want transferable skills, how do we revolve our program to target those 10 most important transferable skills? Um, And so slowly it was through a lot of alumni feedback and we made our Alumni into facilitators who would run the programs, so that they could implement those changes and improve them every single time, which is how you see it to where it is today. But you'll always know <laughs> <laughs> that in the beginning, it was just me trying to be like, I just want to go to China because I want my own internship. But what happened with ISeg was that you know um, a few months after I first started, I was turned, the president came to me. And said, hey, we wanna partner with OzTurm because you guys, don't you guys have like internship placements in China? And I was like, that's really interesting. How many <laughs> internships do you actually have in China? And he was like, oh, none. And so I ended up realizing that I got rejected, not because I was rejected for any other reason other than there was no actual placements at the time in China. And so I was like, if you had told me that, I would never have started turn because I would just be like, okay, just give me another location then, you know, mm, but because they were just crazy. like, you have been rejected. I was like, okay, well,
0: I'll just go to China myself. (laughs) (laughs) And Austen was born. Born. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. I love it. And I love that idea of it really just started with that one desire to go to China and go there yourself. And I think that that's so important for us all to note because, you know, it it can be that simple at the start. And then, you know, obviously along the way, iterated and and built and the vision grew. Amazing. So... And then that brings us almost to the close of today's interview. Um, Something I do want to talk about before I ask you our last question is about your exit, your recent exit. So, you know, I I still remember seeing that LinkedIn post you did um, of you you pretty much just saying that, you know, you felt like you were becoming feeling a little bit unaligned with your company. It wasn't really your passion anymore. Um, Talk to us a little bit about your recent exit.
1: Yeah. So, um, it's always been a value of mine that if I'm in a position where I'm not growing anymore and I'm not learning, then I will stop what I'm doing and move on. And this is a really like hard decision because obviously, like Austern's my baby, and, and it's like a cash flow positive company. Yeah. But it was the same decision that I made when I stopped my shoe business because. I mean in a different way it impacts a lot of people which I'm so grateful for and we have a really really like tight-knit community but I felt kind of misaligned um, by the end because you know we'd be teaching about growth and self-development but I felt like I wasn't growing myself anymore Mm -hmm. and so you know my business partner moved on to a different job at Carousel in in Singapore Um, and I felt like like it was kind of like almost going, even though it's growing, it was going backwards in the sense that I was going back to doing everything myself. Um, and I was feeling burnt out, not because of the workload. Cause honestly the workload got less than when I started, mm. but, um, because of all the processes in place, but I felt like, what am I developing as a person and what other impact can I actually make? Like, can it be a bigger impact, um, within this arena. And so um, recently I joined a company called QLC, so Quarter Life Crisis. (laughs) So that company was um, started by two management consultants. who have a very similar experience to me. And what they experienced wasn't, like I experienced that when I was in my first year of uni, they experienced when they graduated. So they work for one of the top management consulting companies and they quit their job to then start a furniture app. And that's when I actually met them like five years ago wow. when they were starting the furniture app. And so last thing I knew, they were like, you know, off to Singapore in an accelerate program. Mm-hmm. And so during that period, they were like, why are we starting a furniture app? We don't even <laughs> like furniture. <laughs> and they realized they started this app because they were going through a quarter life crisis. Mm-hmm. And I think that's very relatable to a lot of people because um, they were like, oh, we just started this because we wanted to get away from our nine to nine, nine to five job um, and actually like get into a different area that we might be more passionate in. And so Quarter Life Crisis is like an education platform as well. Um, But instead of physical boot camps, like what I did, They run like digital courses, but at the same time you are paired up with a startup to work for them. And so you're directly applying those digital skills. Like you're not just learning, you know, on Coursera or whatever, Um, like nothing wrong with that. But I really value execution and I value um, how applicable it is um, and how immediate my, like I can apply. Otherwise I actually can't learn and and properly you know so I need to be able to see it, it happen so I really valued that whilst you're learning those digital skills um, in your free time you don't have to quit your job or anything you can be working for a stop to directly apply those skills like online so if you'd really decide to quit your job then you can work remotely or work for those startups remotely, um, and do whatever you, whatever you want and like not have to worry about the nine to five kind of be limited to a physical space. So I felt like this was such a great transition for me because I felt like that is exactly the, like the time of the, um, my life where I am feeling that like, I want to be doing so many different things. Um, but I also obviously need to work. (laughs) And one of my passions has always been like language learning. And so um, next year I want to be do- I'm going to Korea, Japan, France, Spain, where I'll be doing three months like each and doing language immersion. And so I have like uh, apart from Spanish, which I know nothing of, I like learn a bit of well, the other three before. And I've realized when I used to go to Japan that um, my language, ability, even without like formal education, it would, my speaking would be so much better than all the other languages I learned like two, three years in, in two weeks, because I would constantly be just practicing, um, speaking and, you know, leapfrogging from other like sentences to learn more new structures and new ways of saying stuff. So I was like, you know, I can just, um, if I have the time to do that, and the ability to work remotely, then I can actually fulfill something that I've always wanted to do whilst being able to work. And that company's vision really aligned with um, where I see uh, kind of like the millennial direction of wanting to be their own master of their time and their passion, in their work, and being able to integrate that together. So, yeah, I have joined them as their VP of growth. Um, and I started
0: this week. <laughs> <gasps> so exciting, so exciting. I just I just love what you said there at the end, you know, that idea of like this new way of millennials owning their time. And I think that's something that, I mean, I talk a lot about, we talk a lot about on the show, and I just think that it's so important. I think that there is such an ability now to be able to work remotely and do what you actually want to do, travel, um, you know, have the growth that you want to have. Exactly. And I just love that you're owning that and going out and doing that. So that really leads me on to... Um, my acknowledgement of you, Lily. So I just want to acknowledge you for all the phenomenal work you've done and you're doing. (laughs) Thank you. You know, you really are leader of our generation and we all look up to you and and we're looking at you know how you've done what you've done so we can try and model that and for that we're really grateful so thanks so much thank you (laughs) of course so that brings me to our last question for today's interview which is how we finish all of our interviews here at the peers project and that is what is the value of pursuing what you're most passionate about
1: yeah um the value of what I realized is that a lot of this is a really actually big, you know, trend where everyone is about pursuing the passion. But I really fully acknowledge that a lot of also a lot of people don't know what their passion is, and this is a huge thing because when everyone is talking about I need to follow my passion, um, I've been through that period where I was like, what is my passion? Do I have one passion? Do I have many? Are they interests? <laughs> only like like how, how would I even know um and so you know I would like say to those people that it doesn't really matter what your passion is at the moment even if you're in a place where you really hate at least you know um as long as you take action to make sure that in the future you're not in that position and not like stick with it but the more like what what I said about the Oz term being the OIS, that like the more opportunities and experiences that you develop, the more likely you'll be able to find your passion because there's no way that like, if I never took the step to join martial arts, I would never know that I was interested in martial arts. I would never know that I was interested in these things if I had never tried it. (laughs) You know, that's, that's what it really comes down to. So, you know, it's not about being perfect and you like trying to be the best at, something sometimes but really just like being open-minded to just try a lot of different things um, and be open to those opportunities when it comes your way Um, or even being like proactive and seeking out those opportunities because not everything is going to be handed to you on a silver spoon so um, I would say like you, you know your passion for life comes from being able to actively take charge of the time that you're given which is very limited so like be passionate about you know taking advantage of like every second so that when you get to the end of your life or your that's a bit morbid but like your end of your year you can look back and be like what did I achieve out of that year and am I proud of the the type of person that I'm developing and the character that I'm building I think that's the most important thing
0: so well said Thank you so much, Lily. Thank you. Where can people <laughs> so learn much. more about, of course, where can people learn more about you and your work?
1: Yeah, so um, people can add me on LinkedIn. I think the LinkedIn URL is linkedin.com slash I N slash. It's Lily with the I T S. And they can find more about what QLC does as well at QLC.io. Um, Yeah, and then just, like, connect with me and um, I'm always happy to chat.
0: Love it. (laughs) Perfect. And for everyone else listening, we will end with that. Piers, that's a wrap. Thank you for tuning in to the latest episode of the Piers to Piers podcast. We hope you've enjoyed your introduction to our latest guest peer and that you find them as gung-ho as we do which is our way of saying inspirational. For more, make sure to subscribe to our show on iTunes, Spotify or any app where podcasts are played and leave us a review. We produce with passion and it doesn't stop here. To see what else we're up to, visit thepeersproject.com or follow us on Instagram at thepeersproject. We'll have fresh, real talk for you next week, peers. Until then, if you need inspiration, look amongst your peers.